0: You're listening to TWN Champions, episode number 31. Champions! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum or something like that. This is episode number 31. I'm Will, and she can smell empty ketchup bottles from miles away. It's Rebecca! Where'd that ketchup at? That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking about mutants. That <laughs> <laughs> could have been any monster, though. Let's be fair.
0: Well, ketchup is delicious, but are you ready to talk about gross stuff today? Or Have you had enough gross things in your life happen recently? I
1: mean, you know, it, it's a tapestry. Uh, we always have some gross things going around and, and, and happening. And sometimes it's good to look at gross things because it's only by examining grossness can we appreciate beauty.
0: Is that what you were thinking when I threw up uh, last weekend?
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so so in your defense, I didn't actually see it occur, but I did I did hear it, and it yeah. sounded very upsetting.
0: Yeah, you have to wake up. You have to wake up when it happens.
1: I came rushing out of bed because it sounded like there was something <sighs> really wrong. With it, you. Well,
0: there was something wrong. I broke my eleven-year streak of not throwing up, which I think is pretty good for have an you adult.
1: Really not thrown up in eleven years?
0: Not since the uh, chili dog, um, the chili dog Dairy dog Queen incident. incident yeah, that the uh, shall the, not
1: be mentioned. Off
0: the books Dairy Queen that was not following franchise rules. Uh, and this time was also because of a chili dog. We're pretty sure. Well, you know, there's something about chili dogs. I is it's like the way they save the meat, or they steam it, or something. I'm not sure.
1: I think maybe it might be your body's way of telling you you shouldn't <laughs> eat chili dogs. That's
0: just a strange thing to say. I'm not sure if that's right. <laughs> You know, my mom still talks about the first time I threw up and she says, like, after it happened, I just stared at it and and, like shrieked at it. Like, (laughs) like what alien entrails have come out of me? I hate it. Well, I no, hate throwing it's... up more than I think more than most people. I hate throwing up. I
1: mean, I don't know. Well, I don't I'm in think...
0: denial about it. Like is this happening? Is this going to happen?
1: I feel like there's it's good to have a little distance from your body as a human because I feel that your personhood remains intact if you're if you separate yourself from the meat body that's betraying you. That's probably right. So anyway, that's the throw up news. <laughs> On today's show, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how elegant the segue is, Well, that's
0: pretty similar. I mean, we're talking about gross stuff. On
1: today's show, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the mutant archetype. I have four. Will has four. It's a top eight.
0: (sighs) Rebecca, is a mutant something we just call little brothers, or is there a real definition? What are they?
1: Oh, well, I didn't really get you a working definition so much as I did a working history, right? Okay, yeah,
0: let's just go into the history okay, thing because we, we know that, how we use the word colloquially. I was
1: going to say mutations are a real thing, but a mutant really is a, a creation type. of of cre- yeah, it's a creation of fiction. And so, um I thought when we were going to be tracing back this trope, I thought it was just going to go right to the post-nuclear era mm-hmm. because you have like you know, uh, radioactive waste, toxic waste. Obviously, these aren't things that are really going to be around pre-nuclear era uh-huh. in our in the popular imagination. But I was surprised to learn that it actually goes back a little further than that. These sci-fi authors engaging in speculative fiction were inspired by like the work of Charles Darwin and then like the mutation theory that was put forth by the early Dutch geneticists. Hugo de Vries. Okay, so I'm, okay. Gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read, you, I'm gonna hit you with a little passage here. Okay. This is from the Sci Fi Encyclopedia, which is a really, really well done website. So congrats to them. Okay, so in 1927, the US geneticist H.J. Muller succeeded in inducing mutations in fruit flies by irradiation. And so this would really capture a lot of people's imaginations. So oh, yeah. I didn't
0: realize we were doing that. I
1: know. So, like, irradiation was a thing that could now be, oh, what if we do this to all of nature? Um, and then one of the first people to take up the notion in fiction was a guy named John Taine, who wrote several extravagant mutational romances.
0: What? So listen
1: to this, Will. I think this is a book that you should find and read because I think okay. you would really into it. So he wrote a book called "The Great Greatest Adventure." Nineteen twenty nine, the corpses of giant saurians, no two alike, began floating up from the ocean depths and are traced to a lost world in Antarctica where experiments and mutation were once carried out. So you've got horrors from the deep. You've got genetics. You've got science. You've got scary ocean stuff. I I feel like this would really be a story that you'd be into. All right, so by the time we get to, like, the pulp comics and magazines of the 1930s, we're off to the races, basically. So this started earlier than I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In conclusion, this started earlier than I thought. And then before we even get our year zero for superheroes, which is 1933, the year of Siegel and Schuster's first Superman comic, um, they had already had tons of, like, Men got mutantified and now they're super stories. Like that was already a thing, you know, before superheroes took off. And so while not all mutation stories are superhero stories, the two have gone hand in hand from the beginning, basically, Mm -hmm. because this is like the, the same decade. Um, and then all these stories have an element of man toying with nature, and uh, a lot about the anxieties of global industrialization and what we're doing with our planet, etc.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay,
1: so there's your robust history of mutants. Now get to somebody gross. Well, because we have, well, because because there there's the thing. It runs the gamut from there's like the horrifying mutant, right, that betrays all of our anxieties about what have we done to the uh-huh. earth, and then there's the super mutant. Who's like, what could science do for us? We've kind of got this whole rainbow of of interesting mutant characters. Okay,
0: so I'll give you... The three types that I think I trace. Okay. Like you were saying, uh, I think the ones we remember most would start in um, the 50s, and these would be the nuclear radiation type because of the uh, fears and culture around the bomb and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. you have movies like Children of the Atom in 1953, in which children of workers who were exposed to radioactive explosions give birth to children with a high intelligence. And then you get a lot of uh Japanese kaiju who are also mutants and that sort of thing.
1: Yes. Like, so of course that's we get Godzilla, who we might be hearing about later. Right, today. right, exactly. God Godzilla might come up, I'm just saying. And then
0: we have my favorite type of mutants um that show up in the eighties. And this is kind of probably a little bit more of bomb scare stuff when um we were we had a little bit more of uh nuclear fear in the eighties too. So you have characters that are sort of similar to the ones we had in the fifties, like Um, mutants from Total Recall who were created from Martian radiation and stuff. But then you also have my favorite type, and these are what I would call like new wave punks and toughs who have... uh, punk
1: mutants. Yeah,
0: who have like vests and futuristic visors and some neon and mohawks, and either they're just called mutants or they're actually genetically modified in a cyberpunk kind of way. And they were all over the place in video games and TV and movies in the 80s and 90s, and maybe they showed up because there's something in the air about the bomb culture and fear but i think this was mostly just a way for writers to make some realistically scary monster character types or something but i love those i love those guys
1: yeah i, I mean i think you could like retroactively apply a cultural reason for it like see so these are the like the cold war era you know parents who have their kids who are now growing up with a constant knowledge of the threat of nuclear oh, interesting, war interesting. and then like so it. like culturally here's what we've done to our our youth and this is why our youth are, you know are the yeah. way that they are like and you could you could say that like i don't know if that like was... uh
0: the you remember the burger king kids that one kid who had the little visor it's probably him it he's was gonna him be, he's gonna be just like that
1: the burger king <laughs> the kids
0: club kids yeah <laughs>
1: We're uh, 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 the reflection of nuclear paranoia.
0: And then the la- and the one that I think catches us up is the one we're going to talk about a lot, I'm sure, is these uh, like ecological mutants. Because in the 90s, the doomsday nuclear clock may have slowed down a little, but now we're starting to learn about the toxic mutagenic effects of pollution. So you have uh, these creatures that are created from slime and pollution, and most notably some teenage amphibians and their knockoffs that we, we may get into. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. Those guys.
0: And fun, fun fact. um, I've read that Ozzy Osbourne was born with a genetic mutation that enables his body to better metabolize narcotics than an average person. So he is a mutant bred to be able to do (laughs) horrible
1: things. Now, I'm not going to say who mapped Ozzy's DNA so we can ask him. I mean, did he go on like Dr. Oz and he's like, Ozzy, you know what?
0: Why have we read so much about Ozzy Osbourne's genetics recently? Because we also found out he was part Neanderthal. Maybe it was the same thing. Maybe he was on that one of those... uh, DNA oh, testing so. And they found out Like you're great at drugs
1: <laughs> And also it you're part
0: prob- caveman <laughs> And he goes, this is great information
1: You know what I love it I love that I love all of that That's great
0: uh, Anything else Before we get into the picks
1: I think, I think that's good I think that's our good History of
0: mutants Okay I'll We're start, ready to go well, Let's start the mutant parade Who's up first <laughs> Number 8. Lazy days of following the bellowed commands of others? Those days can be yours again, for best friend Tabitha, the esteemed leader of the state of Utopia, is here to tell you what to do! That's right! I, Tabitha, will take on the burden of your obedience! Acceptance into Utopia pending best friend Tabitha's approval. Best friend Tabitha reserves the right to turn down applicants for any reason, including whimsy or boredom.
1: Okay, I'm allowed to talk about Fallout New Vegas because I haven't in a few episodes. Well, you,
0: they, we just had that big Bethesda news where they got bought by Xbox and everything's free now. So let's do it.
1: Oh, did oh yeah, that did happen, didn't it? Everybody's buying everything all the time. <laughs> Who can keep track? Well, I love
0: New Vegas. Let's let's hear about it.
1: So I bring you then Tabitha. Fallout Mm -hmm. New Vegas.
0: (laughs) No, of course not.
1: You would think that living in a post-nuclear apocalypse wasteland would mean that whenever you encounter a 10-foot dude with green or blue skin and he's running at you with a mini-nuke under his arm like a football, that maybe his temperament and his life choices were the results of Fallout from the nuclear blast, right? You would think Uh that.
0: I would, yes.
1: (laughs) But you would be wrong... For the super mutants of the Mojave Wasteland are the remnants of a group of poor, unfortunate souls who were injected with a virus to give them super strength to make a mutant army.
0: Oh.
1: Okay, and to make them invulnerable to radiation,
0: too. I so, played this game. I don't remember any of that. Well,
1: see, that's actually deeper lore, apparently. There was a... Um, it was the plot of one of the earlier fallout games maybe fallout 2 okay but um that whole plan of creating super soldiers was destroyed thanks to an anonymous vault dweller um but the mutants stuck around and they wandered to new locales okay so that's where our mojave wasteland mutants came from
0: oh and is it like what do you call it is that epigenetic or whatever like when they reproduce, they make more mutants.
1: Oh, so apparently they they're sterile,
0: uh-huh.
1: but they're basically biologically immortal, and that's why they're oh, all still kicking around. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, that and all that lore is part. It's like there, you I can love go it. find the wikis. It's way like it's very very deep. It's actually pretty cool. Um, but this brings us to Tabitha. Yeah. <clears throat> She lives on top of Black Mountain in the Mojave Wasteland, and she's the leader of a community called Utobitha. <laughs> her best friend is a robot named Rhonda, and Tabitha broadcasts regular rants <laughs> on a station called Black Mountain Radio, and you can tune in as the player character on your Pip-Boy, and so you can just, like, tune in and listen to her mutant rants.
0: Utobitha! Come! Take a
1: Tabitha is my dream cosplay, okay? Uh-huh. She's a nightkin, which means that she has blue skin, and so she's also a little mentally unhinged because of her repeated exposure to stealth boy invisibility. That uh-huh. makes you crazy. Just so you know, don't use them too much. Um, but she has ragged, pieced-together wasteland armor, but also a signature blonde 60-style wig, and heart-shaped glasses. And she's delightful looking, and she's my role model. And I don't know how I would ever do it, because it would require, like, stilts. you got to be tall, Yeah, right? she's
0: terrifying. She's really cute. It's When you see her, it's very jarring. You're like, oh, I can't believe this is happening in this game. The,
1: the little wig and glasses are freaking hysterical. Yeah. And so I just, I love her. I, she's one of my favorite, just, uh, non-player characters. So, it's just another piece of very lovingly crafted lore, and then game world integration in what is maybe my all-time favorite in-game world. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like, I, just, I love everything about it. I love the imagination that it sort of stokes when you see this world. And uh, Tabitha just teaches us to forge our own paths and create our own place where we belong in this world and to surround ourselves with people who get us, even if those people are a broken robot and we are pretending to be them on the radio. Thank you, Tabitha.
0: I don't even remember where we were going. But it'll be good to travel around with Rhonda again. Number seven.
1: This better work, Ralphie. I swear, there's monsters, robots, and aliens stuck in here. Dog him in water to get him out. Like the time he told his Hoover's dog could fly. Yeah, these don't lie. Whoa, Ralster! Gentlemen, dunk. Wow! Cool! Awesome!
0: I'm proud to say that this time my first pick is literal garbage <laughs> I, I want it's the mascot
1: of twenty twenty <laughs> and twenty twenty one I
0: want to talk about a mutant from the trash bag bunch okay I'm willing to bet that this product never even made it into your brain
1: no no like your
0: brain saw it coming and just threw open the window and it's like nope we can't remember this
1: well i, I... No, oh, I wonder if I would have liked it. I did like Garbage Pail Kids when I was a kid. Okay. Because I had some like older, older tough cousin influence, you know. Okay. So I may have, I may have, I don't know. Okay, that's good to hear because it. I
0: was going to ask you, uh, I want to tell you about them and then I want you to tell me if there's any planet where you would have enjoyed this. Okay. Okay. Uh, it isn't.
1: I, I enjoy it now for what it's <laughs> worth. I'm very excited to hear about it.
0: It's an action figure line. You've got a group of humanoids called Disposers who defended the environment and a race of alien monsters called Trash who created pollution and garbage. And each one of these guys comes in a biodegradable garbage bag. And it was like an early blind box. You drop the bag in water. Oh, that's cute. The water starts to fizz. The bag turns into slime that floats to the top and your monster falls to the bottom of the glass and they were mutants, humans with giant guns and robots and you didn't know which one you were going to get.
1: That's all adorable. Like <laughs> I really really love
0: all of that. I'm glad I'm glad to hear that um because uh I'll give you a little history. This was absolutely in the middle of the save the planet thing happening in the 90s obviously, which
1: I thought that we were going to really take that and run with it, but we did not.
0: No, not really. No, I, I not think, enough. Well, it came out in ninety one with a lot of other mutants and ecological toys and Captain Planet tried to rip them all off, so Captain Planet probably ruined it for us.
1: But uh, Captain Planet for all of its like I remember it being popular, but it was not good. I know we've said that before, but it was just not yeah,
0: no, it was it sounded good on paper, like, Oh, we'll teach kids about the environment. I was like, Yeah, but it actually has to be good also.
1: You made us hate the planet we're trying to save or supposed to. So, but but the trash bag bunch in in this atmosphere makes a whole lot of sense, and it sounds very cute, well, like a very good
0: okay. Well, the thing. idea actually came from a baby doll toy for girls, who's intended uh, for girls. Whose diaper would change colors when you dipped it in water? Oh, okay. Then, I,
1: I thought you meant the blind box. Aspect. No, no, no. I'm like, all babies are technically a, a blind box. You know, <laughs> right. you don't know what's going. You like what's going to look like? Is it going to be cute?
0: I still remember when I was like six, uh, and uh, my sister really wanted one of these pound puppy dolls, and she had to have like. A certain one that comes with it. You don't know which one's going to be born in the pound puppy mom. So my mom in Kmart is ripping open these boxes off the shelves to dig inside the pound puppy to find which babies it has. And she's like, I don't care. We got to get the right one to
1: palpate the 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 babies and be (laughs) like, which pound puppy is this? Shall we get?
0: So anyway, uh, the people at Galoob Toys thought, how can we make this for boys? And this was one of the toy lines that got away from me for a couple of
1: trash. Right. Little girls love puppy dogs. Little boys love garbage.
0: I think that's what they were thinking. And I did really like this, but it, eluded uh, me because one, I don't think this was a popular enough to make it on the shelves at the major stores. We could only get it at our local drugstore. store. Uh, it was, it was an Eckerd's if you remember in Eckerd's.
1: I bet, yes. And,
0: and then uh, also my mom thought they were too tacky and she always taught me into getting something else. Um, <laughs> and I have, so your
1: mom will root around in some pound puppies for your sister, but she won't let you get right, one that's garbage. Tacky. Bag. That's tech.
0: Yeah. I can't have one garbage bag, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: so sad.
0: And I have the perfect way to explain how much ecological mutants like this one were in the air at the time. This is so funny to me. I found an old Associated Press article from the 1991 Toy Fair in New York. And uh, they interviewed the pitch man from Galoob Toy Company. And this is what he says. This is true, okay? He says, you never know what you're going to get. That's the beauty of it watch ladies you dunk it in and bada bing it's garbage eater <laughs> he really said that i know he had kind of had a shtick i'm sure but it was so funny i mean and then the other toys at the fair that they mentioned so you can know the context they also had uh blurp ball monsters barnyard commandos and socket poppers who with removable limbs so mutants were like the thing yeah at that year.
1: it sounds more interesting
0: um and it's just to sort of close it out, I would say I think my favorite of the trash bag uh, monsters has to be uh, either um, Buzzard or Lice Plant. What a great name.
1: That's horrible. Um, we should not ever celebrate <laughs> lice. <laughs> I
0: wanted these things so bad. Usually I could get like a pity toy for suffering through the store, but I always got talked into like a bouncy ball or a ninja ninja turtle. But what I really wanted was garbage.
1: Routmeister, this could change your whole reputation.
0: The Trash Bag Bunch. Monsters, robots, and aliens in dissolving bubbling bags, each sold separately from Galoo. Number six.
1: They say he's got to go. I'm talking about Godzilla. <laughs> and of course, this is the greatest of all time. The goat of mutants, Godzilla, mm-hmm. from, you know, the kaiju from the Japanese film series dates back to 1954. Now Godzilla is not strictly a mutant, but he is rather an ancient sleeping giant of the sea, awakened and empowered by nuclear radiation. So it does uh-huh. count, right?
0: Oh, he was mutated by the radiation, Yeah, it was, mu- it
1: was like, mutated. I like mean, you dinosaurs know,
0: well, weren't bored being able to shoot lasers out of their mouths. I
1: mean, do we know, though, if he was mutated or... Well, they got
0: feathers. They could have lasers. <laughs>
1: exactly. Like, well, we don't know. I mean, he was an ancient sea creature who was maybe already pretty awesome, but yeah. then... the. Then it, he just ran on radiation the way a no, normal toy would run on batteries. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not here to talk about the films. Rather, I am here to talk about the song by Blue Oyster Cult mm-hmm. from
0: 1977. People forget that was them.
1: Yes. Okay. Okay. Now, this is one of my favorite songs of all time, and I have never gotten a chance to publicly rave over it, so I'm going to correct that right now. Okay. If you've never heard the song, if you've never heard this song, I'm just pause this podcast and go listen to the whole song. It's a really good song. I love it. I love this song. So um, it was written by Buck Jarma, who has been the one unifying member of Blue Oyster Cult throughout its long history. So he also wrote, um, I'm Burning For You and Don't Fear the Reaper, right? Was so, he the singer? Yeah, uh-huh. and he was the singer. So his really is the voice we think of in every sense when we think of B.O.C. Uh Okay. So it was meant to be a silly little song, and it is, and it didn't really chart at the time um, because the world was not ready for it. And I feel like people still don't appreciate the song because it's silly. Just because something's silly doesn't mean that it's not good, Okay. It paints a whole picture.
0: It really does. It seems like it's literally about Godzilla. It
1: it is, but then also it's good song lyrics because some people... They are. Like, when they're writing, like, they're, they're, it, there's a real fine line that you tread, and I can speak as a songwriter. Um, when you're writing a song, there's a very fine line you tread between being descriptive and being lyrical. Like, mm-hmm. is it does it sound good sung, but then also does it convey what you want it to convey? Right, is
0: it too clever or, yeah.
1: Yeah, because I don't like songs that are just, like, too wordy or uh-huh. too, you know, like, trying to be too clever because this, the words need to sound good coming out of your mouth. And they need to sound like they belong in a song. Uh-huh. Like, that's just a fact. Fact, songwriting fact, Jack. <laughs> so, the first thing that I love about this song is the lyrics because they're very evocative and they're very descriptive, but it still sounds good sung, okay? So, it starts out like this With a purposeful grimace and a terrible sound, he pulls the spitting high tension wires down. That's
0: good It is good, uh, and you. We were talking about how it's lyrically perfect too. I feel like they were so careful. Even the guitar is having a call and response with him, where the guitar is making like the sound effects of Godzilla doing the things he's discussing.
1: Yes, and that is the second thing that I love. I'm glad you mentioned that because that is the second thing <laughs> I love about this song. Is that the guitar, the lead guitar, is such an element of the song that, in addition to making like the sound effects and i feel like this the lead guitar is agreeing with the lyrics yeah. for lack of a better term i just i don't even know how to describe it to you that it sounds like he's agreeing but it's like it's like he's like going like mm-hmm, yeah I know I saw Godzilla doing that it's like, like yeah it's like it's like
0: he's Godzilla and he's thrilled to hear people recognize what he's yeah. doing yeah I was doing that and it was like this
1: he is like Godzilla if Godzilla lived in Animal Crossing and he's like whatever. pulling the
0: tension high wires down and you hear the slide guitar like going Browl, Browl. Browl. like the wires losing tension. <laughs>
1: I love it. I love this song. This song just makes my world right when I hear it. And I I just feel like it's an underappreciated gem. And so I will leave you all with this YouTube comment from a live video of Blue Oyster Cult playing Godzilla. Uh, a, A user says... I saw them in Charlotte, N.C. in 79, and when the drum solo started, a huge Godzilla came up behind him with red laser eyes and shooting flames out of his mouth. But the coolest part was smoke covered the drummer as he played his solo, then the smoke cleared, and he was wearing a Godzilla mask and gloves, like huge claws, and he never stopped playing. The whole crowd went (laughs) a Best show I've ever seen. (laughs)
0: That's rock and roll. That's good.
1: (laughs) It is. Godzilla is very rock'n'roll. Godzilla!
0: Number 5! This week on Mutant League, it's heavy football action as the Slayers run wild! The sporting world is turned upside down when Darkstar gets cut and ends up in the monster's locker room. Tensions rise and heads roll before Phone steps in to take charge. For my next pick, I'd like to talk about the best athlete of my generation athlete known as bones jackson from mutant league football
1: yes you have mentioned mutant league football before because you just love it that much but now it's time to talk about it in in the context of mutants
0: yeah i think i think so and this is another one that is like a franchise i think you might not have cared for when it came out but you would really be fond of to play these days i I don't know i feel like you really like gross monsters more now i don't know
1: i do but it's because i think they're cute
0: okay and they yeah these were kind of cute yeah I do, so I do talk about this all the time. Do you know anything about this before I just start talking about this?
1: Well, I mean, it was an NES game. And it was it, a Genesis I, game. Oh, a Genesis game. My bad. The
0: same era. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, well, well it wasn't the same era. Will, when the Genesis came along, <laughs> everything was changed forever. <laughs> no. Um, so, and it was like a football game and you got to play like your team, except for, instead of it being a boring football game with like boring players, you were monsters.
0: Yes. And That's your exactly team right. was monsters. Yes.
1: Which is just like a <laughs> solid concept all the way around. And I feel I would enjoy football more in real life if that were true.
0: I think so. Yeah, I always like the tacky football games, like ones where uh fantastic stuff happened, I always liked better. This, Which is
1: why we like wrestling and not yeah, football. Yeah, I think because so. you want to watch the entrances and you want to watch the spectacle, but you're like, uh. yeah, I need the
0: context for them lining up because there's not that much action in football anyway. So
1: I mean, yeah, like in what? I mean, well, uh, unless it's really wet, well edited, because i I can yeah. I understand the drama of football. Okay, yeah, I watched, if we
0: watch Friday Night Lights. or... Uh, yeah,
1: I watched Last Chance You. Yeah, that's football we like. Yeah. I still follow Latanya Pinkert on Instagram. Okay, look, I understand football. However, monster football, I think we could all agree, would just be much more fun, which is probably why it shows up so heavily in Colonel Holler, but
0: yes. (laughs) The video game was based on the John Madden football games, actually, except, like you said, it's a post-apocalyptic place, and your characters were uh, different types of monsters. They were skeletons, robots, aliens, trolls, and superhumans, and it was comically violent and gross, and you could do things like run plays with exploding balls, or you could bribe the ref and he'd make up penalties like um, penalty on the other side for flinging boogers and stuff like that. (laughs) It was really funny. I was in love with this game. The concept was great, but it was also very good and had a really healthy playbook with a lot of strategy and the impact sounds were really satisfying. And then they did a great job with the branding for Mutant League because they printed up Football cards with bios for all the characters that you could get in GamePro Magazine. And I like these more than the game. And uh, I just really loved Bones Jackson.
1: Um, I, 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 that's a really clever marketing idea because also I feel like that would really feed your imagination a lot more than even the game would, right? Because it's just like having a regular sports card. Like someone is living in your imagination on that little card, your little Dave Justice card. Yeah, that was that was the baseball card era I knew. It's all Jose Canseco and Dave Justice. Yeah, I had both
0: those posters (laughs) and the John Smoltz.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it was that. But like. I mean, you know, like they take on a, a world of their own when it's in a card, right? And then you can, you know, you're imagining them outside of the, I don't, outside of the realm of the game. It's like the game doesn't even matter because the card is like their symbolic home. You well, know, well, that's
0: a perfect thing to say because Bo Jackson had that thing going on. He was my favorite guy. He had that thing going on where he was like a superhero to us the same way like Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, Bone Jackson, Bo Jackson within the same conversation he like transcended into that like superstar Hulk Hogan Michael Jackson thing at the time and so it was just a real easy thing for it might as well be a monster and So <laughs> it they might had, as well
1: be so they had
0: Bones Jackson they also had like um, Joe Magician who's like Joe Montana and Scary Ri- Scary Ice who's like uh, Jerry Rice um, and then uh it got popular enough that they made a cartoon where you get more of the backstory and it was such a good concept it was like one of these that was uh better than it had a right to be and it was kind of like uh the show ballers but in a post-apocalyptic monster world because they're all dealing with sports business drama but with monster metaphors that
1: sounds really great it was really good i would watch that today
0: And like you said, uh, we don't care much about normal football. I love this game because it was one of the ways I slowly learned how to play actual football.
1: (laughs) It just had to have an angle that you cared about. I know.
0: I played a lot of baseball. I knew everything about baseball, but I didn't know how to play football. And I also learned how to play basketball from video games, uh, which is why I punch and cut people when i play football i guess i don't know
1: <laughs> and fling boogers exactly They're like sit down here and watch the florida versus fsu game is real exciting and you're like is it though and then though you just needed some some monsters to get you into it
0: we had a perfectly good chainsaw he's not even using <laughs> but that's not a normal thing to say from the couch
1: i'm <sighs> saying they threw that flag for he was flinging boogers Daddy, wasn't he flinging boogers? He's <laughs> like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Reminds son? me of
0: 1993 Monstars Mayhem team.
1: <laughs> good team, good team, best team in the SEC.
0: You never see the Dark Stalkers pulling that on the field. <laughs> Number four, increase the cold. Maybe we can crack the superstructure from the ends of the earth. Send limitless cold upon him.
1: Blowing you all out of the water at number four, Aurora Monroe, Windrider, Weather Witch, Goddess of these lands, and of course that storm of Marvel's X Men.
0: hmm Heed my command.
1: I thought about like, okay, well, let's talk, we got to talk about the X Men. We got to talk about them in this conversation about mutants. But you're like, who do I pick? And I was going to pick Charles Xavier because I love Patrick Stewart. And that's really as far as that needed to go in my mind. Uh-huh. But I decided instead to go with Storm. Because while she's one that everybody's like, oh, she's one of the most powerful X-Men. I always feel that the conversations just miss the point. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Um, it's perhaps a bit juvenile when we talk about uh, superheroes to talk about like, who's the more powerful one? Like, I don't know why that's such a common thing for people to say like what someone's powers are and her powers are weather manipulation, right? But that's not what's important, right? Uh The important is the journey, okay? She's the descendant of magic wielders um, and uh, she's also a mutant. Uh, Eventually she's an orphan, she was at. Eventually, is married to to T'Challa, can manipulate the weather, and she's arguably the coolest of the X Men. Even if every medium, I think, didn't show it. Uh huh. Now I'm going to ask you your your opinion on the best s- storms because I feel like we all we all oh, have that's a pretty a good, good. That's
0: a fun question.
1: Uh, we all have a pretty good handle on Storm for the X Men. Like you know who it is, but like like who? What's your favorite Storm?
0: Um. Okay. I think clearly the best Storm is the. Uh, 80s one with the mohawk the punk storm the
1: the mohawk is like the coolest look yeah
0: I like that one a lot and then I'm fond of the 90s all white uh, with the uh, billowing uh, sleeves to catch the wind yes I like and that, that one th- too. that's
1: also the best theme song too yeah, so yeah. That's, the, that's the rockin theme <laughs> I think those music. are
0: the best storms and the other ones get into just weird stuff that don't even make sense Storm definitely has some uh, gravitas or she's got like a really interesting different kind of story than other people have. That they just don't yes. get into.
1: Okay. So I'm going to, so here's my, just to be my discussion here for the rest of the time is going to be about like what I hope for the future for storm okay. because of like what I think she represents and what the X-Men are all about. Uh-huh. Okay. So like I mentioned, we can't really talk about mutants without talking about the X-Men, but I like them. Um, because instead of this, the dark look that we've had, like the, the hard look in the mirror that we've had about technology or evolution or uh, un, unrelenting corporatization and industrialization, the X-Men is really about that Stan Lee-era classic Marvel optimism,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, which I really love. And you know, it's a story, of course, about embracing difference. Um, and then in Storm's case it's about being of a lot of places, but not feeling like you truly belong because of course the real journey is with is within and like in storms arcs, her various story arcs. I feel like she really illustrates that really well. And the films have a hard time sort of portraying this, which is why I think she needs her own movie. Okay. But, um, (laughs) <laughs> the most unknowable terrain is yourself, right? And once you conquer that, you can take that anywhere. So she's of Kenyan heritage, as I've mentioned before. Born in Manhattan, then lived in Cairo, uh, then finding a home of sorts with the X-Men. Once beloved in Wakanda... But then I think it's really cool right now in comics, like literally right now, in the past month or so, they're hinting that she's going to leave the X-Men. Uh, she might be getting involved with the Shi'ar Empire oh. in space. Oh, In space! Storm might be going to space, okay? And we're just kind of waiting for that. Okay, so here's what I hope for for Storm. Okay. I love Storm, okay? Because I just, I, I really think that this is a character that's not gotten her due. No, she's like, I mean...
0: <sighs> She should be like, I don't know, like almost like a God level character too. Or like she's got, it's kind of interesting because you can see this was there even in like the cartoon where she's like got this removed from all the rest of them. She's just so different. And
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and it it really is that sort of like, I have to walk alone versus do I trust other people trope, which is great for someone who has been wondering for so long. And there really is something godlike as you say or goddess like about controlling the weather right like that's mm-hmm. that's typically the lord's domain <laughs> if, when storm is ain't busy it, <laughs> when storm's not busy noah was like i'm storm said i was supposed to get two of each animal and put them in this here ark <laughs> so recently in the comics you know she was once married to uh, to the black panther but they're amicably divorced or amicably enough so she recently paid him a visit in Marauders number 13, although it was to. She was instructed to steal an ancient Wakandan sword. Don't worry about it. Okay. But surprisingly, Black Panther lets her leave with the sword and said she could return to Wakanda if the nation chose to let her. Okay. Now, if Marvel has finally gotten the rights to X Men, which Sony owns right now, mm-hmm. which they're hinting at they may have uh-huh. in, in WandaVision, that was sort of happening very recently, then. Could we have maybe that the next Black Panther film let Storm be the protagonist? Oh, how cool! Since would that be? Chadwick, you know, uh, tragically, since we lost Chadwick Boseman, you know, last year, wouldn't that be freaking cool if Storm could become the sort of torchbearer and then like it could be her film and it could be like her moment and her I don't know like her her time to come into her own and I would really love to see the character.
0: Yeah, that would be really cool. Wouldn't
1: that be fun? But anyway, Storm is a, a great mutant. I don't know what <laughs> she's she's uh, um, one of a kind, and I would really like to see this character be treated um, w- with a lot of film focus, not just mm-hmm. good stories in the comic books. Like we want to see the films and or even the TV shows. I'd like to see that too. Give her the the focus she deserves.
0: Number three. See, dog leaders riffing now. It is Billy really Berserk, man. I myself will kill the fool, Batman. I will rip the meat from his bones and suck them dry. Gotham City belongs to the mutants! For this one, I want to talk about one of my favorite kinds of mutants, called Mutants, from the 1986 comic series, The Dark Knight Returns.
1: <laughs> okay, my, my favorite kind of car is called Cars.
0: <laughs> I thought this would be a good one because I mostly want to talk about these kind of uh, new wave mutants that we were mentioning earlier.
1: Okay, I do like I do like that me aesthetic.
0: T- me too. Uh, and this story has one of the best examples. And there's something really funny about them to me that I'll get into. But I'll start by explaining what these guys are exactly. I mean, first of all, we talked about this a little bit, but you know what I mean when I say new wave mutants. Like you, you, you're picturing the same thing. It sounds well, right?
1: Like, like you, what you were talking about earlier. Like the sort of uh very stylized,
0: yeah, uh, sort of like um evil flock of seagulls. Like yeah. they've got they've got a um like a a lot at least one of them always in the gang always has a futuristic visor, sort of like uh the Back to the Future Pizza Hut sunglasses, Yes. or the Burger King kids or Jordy LaForge.
1: Why did we never have visors take off? I don't know. I feel like we should like make that happen now. You know, remember when like um google glass was gonna be mm-hmm. a thing we thought we were gonna get futuristic visors, and we did not and I nobody guess, even liked it except for some insufferable people in the test markets and then it was like
0: yeah we had a guy at work do it he just looked like a crazy person at his desk
1: i i think it's funny how everyone unilaterally decided like no this ain't
0: ready for prime time like,
1: that's obnoxious we're not gonna do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not gonna do that but we want our futuristic visors
0: uh, and they probably also have uh, vests without sleeves, nose rings, mohawks. They probably got pipes and chains, maybe a little neon. So you're kind of picturing it. They were everywhere in it's the a 80s good look. and 90s.
1: I would dress that way, except for it's too pointy.
0: <laughs>
1: and the animals are always trying to lay on me. Anyway.
0: In Dark Knight Returns, the Mutants are a youth gang that formed after Batman retired and they have the look we talked about. And at least their leader is definitely mutated somehow. And they've taken over the streets and they have their own slang. <laughs>
1: the rest of them just have a, a mutant gene in their attitude department.
0: Yeah, probably. <laughs> so they, they look a little mutated. I think they're actually mutants.
1: I'm not different, but I feel different,
0: <laughs> Dad. Okay, hold on to that because I'm going gonna, gonna to talk about that too. Okay. Um, and Batman has to beat their leader in a brutal mud fight where he says gritty stuff like, This isn't mud. This is my operating table. Yes. <laughs> so it's just ridiculous. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I like it.
0: Um, And we're getting into what I want to talk about here. I love new wave mutants because when they show up on the streets, probably in like New York or L.A., they make our world an alternate reality where things are a little more futuristic. And the promise of the 80s really did happen, like we were talking about. And it was, I mean, just think it was everywhere. It was in Double Dragon, Streets of Rage, Ninja Turtles. Shredder was always grabbing these guys to turn them into stuff. Um, And the funny thing that I want to talk about is I think the old guys who were writing most of these stories in the 80s and 90s really thought this is what the streets of New York and L.A. looked like. Like in their minds, I think they thought New York and L.A., Look like the mean streets that you saw in that Bee Gees video, Staying <laughs> Alive. Like they thought these guys, like, don't go to New York, like,
1: because <laughs> the punk guy is gonna terrorize you yes, mildly without actually really, putting you in real danger. They
0: really thought these. This is what it was like in the big sit in the big cities. And Frank Miller, who wrote. Uh, this important Batman story uh, is a great example because most people know that Frank Miller restored Batman as a dark character again. And he was lauded for making like a great satire about the absurdity of a world where there was this vigilante in this murderous city. But what we learn as he got older is that Frank Miller doesn't write satire. He really is a scared old fascist who thinks this is the world we live in and we need someone like Batman to take the law into their own hands.
1: Don't you just love when someone gets credit for being brilliant and then they weren't?
0: Yes, exactly, yes. And you this had is, us
1: all fooled, Frank Miller.
0: This is this is what he thinks LA and New York are like. Uh, he really, th- I, I think he really thinks this.
1: Don't tell me that, what like please don't tell me that the same thing is true for Alan Moore. Like what if he's just an eccentric weirdo and not a genius, so all of his long coke nails and his... His rings and his magic are all fraud.
0: Oh, yeah. He just just really believes, like, Glycon is real. (laughs) You're Uh, like,
1: no, Alan Moore. This really happened. I I am in a snake cult. (laughs) We thought you were smart. No, okay, just kidding. Just kidding about Alan Moore. I love him. (laughs) But, yes.
0: Well, it reminded me, do you remember that story about the dad of a friend of mine growing up who was a Taekwondo instructor? And he was talking about how to defend yourself in certain situations, do you remember this? No, refresh it's the me. same thing. He was he was like Say so you're coming out of a casino and suddenly you're surrounded by some tufts. <laughs> this was his this was his explanation to us kids of why you needed to learn Taekwondo. Like this, this
1: is a situation will definitely This situation find won't in. come up.
0: You might be going by a casino and there's some people with vests and lead pipes might show up. So I and have... then you need to know some Heian Sun Don to take them down. <laughs>
1: A fair amount. Thank of- God, I'm
0: always wearing my <laughs> sweaty canvas gi under my shorts.
1: All right, so I've spent a lot of time around a casino because when we did the convention, when we did um, Oh Comic Con, of course, uh, it's the convention center is attached to a hotel with a casino because you know gambling in Iowa is a thing, whatever, and. It's a large hotel parking lot, and I believe that hotel is either a Hilton Garden Inn or like a Country Inn and Suites. And anyway, I just don't think that in that parking lot, which adjoins a Bass Pro, I don't think that there are roving bands of toughs. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> well, but maybe if you hit it, I big. bought this
0: visor at Bass Pro. Helps <laughs> me see the fish real good,
1: and it makes me look like I'm from the future. I'm throwing and this
0: fishing lure like a grappling hook. Or
1: like and then the girl punk is like and i got a pink one (laughs) pink camo at bass pro now give me your winnings
0: we are the future we are the (laughs) law number two
1: there's a feeling going around town that this monster is here to protect the people and the jails are becoming overcrowded. This monster has cleaned the streets of every criminal.
0: Almost all the criminals. He hasn't gotten us yet. Well, what the hell are we going to do about this monster, huh? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to kill him. Because if we don't kill him, he's going to kill us.
1: Narrowing into the top here at number two, I give you... The Toxic Avenger. Oh. Okay, now this is a film that if you haven't watched it, I'm going to say you, you're going to need to, for cinema history, watch it, unless you're very squeamish or hate horror films. I and, just
0: clicked around for like two seconds when you told me a clip to grab. It looked really funny.
1: Okay, it is, like, I watched it yesterday for the first time after reading about it for, for several the years. The pacing
0: looked really good, like like the good joke to minute ratio was very high. Yeah
1: so this is like this little um, amazing little weird film okay and so like the the history the crash course is that Trauma Entertainment is a couple of guys who started making movies in the 70s trashy exploitation films that are so similar to each other that they sort of constitute their own little genre and so like a lot of the stylistic elements that you picked up on um, it's it, I can give you a couple of comparisons. So it is horribly gory, and that's what everybody thinks of when they think of trauma films. But it's also full of visual gags, kind of like a Mad Magazine panel. Okay. Because they'll track around different shots, and there's all these different groups of people, and there'll be like a visual gag, a visual gag, a visual gag. It'll be like, you know... So there's
0: just ton of like uh, I like candy yes, all over the t- You constantly is. fed something for fun.
1: So it's, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like a horror film version of mad magazine. But I will also say though, it's kind of like a twisted inverse version of the Adam West Batman series. And I'll get into why I think oh. that in a minute. Let's get it. Okay. So a trauma film is going to be cartoonish and gory. With over-the-top acting, not natural at all, Like when it, which again, this is a horror film, it really shouldn't be natural. And then Troma also has a reputation for reusing the same props, actors, and even scenes or footage repeatedly, sometimes to save money, and then this becomes another hallmark of them and another sort of running gag. For example, there's a certain severed leg that shows up in all their films, uh-huh. a penis monster... And the flipping and exploding car filmed for the movie Sergeant Kabukaman NYPD, which is used in place of any other car that needs to crash and explode. So they'll just oh, cut to funny. they'll cut to their one car explosion that they did. Alright, so this is these are the guys who came up with the Toxic Avenger, and this is nineteen eighty-five. It was a highly stylized, oddball, charming, disgusting little movie that put trauma entertainment on the map culturally. It wasn't a hit, but it wasn't Not a hit, and has become a well-loved cult classic. The story takes place in a fictional town called Tromaville, which is the toxic waste capital of America. And the reason that I said that this is a lot like the Adam West Batman, except a very 80s version and a gory version, it's like, you know, in Gotham, it was the case where the villains are... Um, out and about, and then of course you've got Commissioner Gordon and the good guys who are always on the phone in, in these different interior scenes trying to do stuff to help the city but you always see them in an interior because that's just shooter to, cheaper to shoot, right? But Tromaville, it's the opposite the villains are like the mayor and his cronies and they're openly like taking bribes and allowing companies to dump toxic chemicals in the town In this story, a socially awkward fitness club janitor is terrorized by a group of glamorous scumbags who seek to make his life miserable, culminating in a tragic incident where he falls into some toxic waste. So, gives him superpowers, disfigures his face and body, but then he embarks upon a campaign to kill every bad guy in town in the most gory and ridiculous (laughs) ways possible, and then becomes a hero of the town. (laughs) This is a happy story Which is hilarious given that this is also a movie where a man gets his head impaled by the pins on a weight machine. Okay? So it's ridiculous. And it's a really fun movie. If you like horror films at all and if you're not turned off by gore, you really owe it to yourself to watch this film. Um, Good horror films aren't just scares. They comment on something about humanity. And this is commentary on how we treat the least of us. And how we do deserve to be judged for it. And karma is slow. But that's okay, because Toxie's going to take care of it. (laughs) What Karma won't do, the Toxic Avenger will.
0: Alright, now we're about to get our top mutant. But before we do, what's our honorable mentions? Honorable mentions.
1: Um... I know I talked about Batman Returns recently, so Uh that's why I just have to say Oswald Cobblepot. He was a great one. Oh, that's a good one. He was a great one, and I could have done him for a pick, but, you know, yeah.
0: Uh, I'm going to say, doesn't The Fly count?
1: Yeah, I think so. He modified his jeans to do it. Yeah, he definitely can. I'm going to
0: say Super Shredder from Ninja Turtles 2.
1: Hey, but everybody else, pfft, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just we kidding. needed
0: somebody from Ninja Turtles and oh, yeah. his was so like mutagen specific. Like... And,
1: and we've talked about the Ninja Turtles enough on this podcast. <laughs> it's okay. We, you know, we love them.
0: I like, I liked Super Shredder a lot. That was, that was, I couldn't believe it when it happened, when it was in the movie. Like he got bigger. <laughs> um, I like that. I would say Apocalypse from X-Men and then the ants from them.
1: Okay. Okay. So who's your number one mutant of all time?
0: Number 1. Stop! I'm coming back for you. Sweet. All right, this is sort of similar to Toxic Avenger. My top mutant has two of our favorite things going on. One, he had scientist jealousy. We like that.
1: I do love scientist jealousy. I okay. I really relate to that.
0: And then two, monster nobility.
1: Those are both my favorite things. <laughs> oh, sorry. Go on.
0: Okay. He has joined the Parliament of Trees. This is Swamp Thing. The, the monstrous ecological defender from DC Comics in various attempts at other media. Beware the wrath of Swamp Thing
1: yay see i was just scared about alan moore being crazy right and now we get to talk about him right real. right
0: right uh this got me thinking swamp thing are all the best superheroes green or at least it helps a lot
1: <laughs> hmm.
0: i was thinking about this when i was playing marvel ultimate alliance and i like all the green guys like hulk Gamora, drax martian manhunter like those are those are some those good. They're all ones. good. It's hard to be a green superhero and be bad. I kind of like a brainiac. I mean, I just love all of them. I
1: mean, I don't know. I mean, Green Arrow's a little meh. Oh,
0: but his skin isn't green.
1: Oh, oh, okay. The outfit doesn't. No, care. The, yeah, the general color scheme green. is, green. is that what i are talking about. You no, you want them to be green skinned. Okay, yes. well, in that case, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think
0: it, I think it's hard to be a bad character if you're green. Okay. Um, so um, unless you watched Swamp Thing on the USA Network, I can give a little history. <laughs> Unless you I want did to? not. Okay, this character had a ton of changes over the years, but the main origin story is from the original 1974 comic series about a scientist named Alex Olson in the early 20th century. His life is going great. He just got married to Linda. He's doing experiments, but his assistant is jealous of his success and of Lin- and of his marriage to Linda. So one night, doesn't well,
1: he know that Linda's not going to love him? If he sabotages her Oh, love. wait.
0: Oh, wait. Sounds like you're ready to read Swamp Thing. Uh, <laughs> I might be. One night, while Alex is sleeping, his assistant, Damien Ridge, creeps into the lab and messes up Alex's experiment. When Alex returns the next day, his baking soda volcano, or whatever he was working on, <laughs> that. explodes and he dies. Damien promptly dumps his body in a nearby swamp near the chemical plant. Linda falls in love with Damien because he pretends to be like a sympathetic thing. He did it in secret. She doesn't know he did it.
1: Okay, but Linda, come on This is similar to
0: the Spawn story, I'm realizing. Uh, Meanwhile, Alex's body, which was covered in all those chemicals, reacts with all the vegetation of the swamp. And he emerges as a half-plant monster with a spiritual connection to nature. Um... This Same is definitely
1: happened to me. Yeah, we
0: know, we know. <laughs> this is definitely an ecological story, like we were talking about. Um, and it's interesting because he was more science based in the seventies. But Alan Moore, like you mentioned, had a really famous run where he tweaked the story to make Swamp Thing more of a gothic horror character, and explained that Alex wasn't really human at all anymore. There's no chance he's going to revert to human. The plants just used his genes to express something botanical, and it's a plant vessel
1: okay so we're all plant vessels and you could make the argument that human life is just here to feed bacteria and plants
0: <laughs> i'm sure ellen moore would love to we talk return about this. to
1: the earth the plants take us and then maybe from the earth we might spring again but really this is all the plants life Well, that that is
0: kind of how Swamp Things work. Um, There's a lineage of Swamp Things through the centuries, and each one eventually retreats from humanity to join the green among the Parliament of Trees.
1: So I think this sounds really beautiful, and I might, in my heart, be a Swamp Thing.
0: Uh, Maybe so. Is it possible? Maybe so.
1: I I think that sounds very poetic. (laughs) Well,
0: okay, well, let me me hit you with this. This was one of the other wild storylines about Swamp Thing I just had to mention, because there's a story Alan Moore wrote uh, where Swamp Thing falls in love with a woman named Abby, and they're able to make love through a hallucinogenic experience because she eats some of the tubers growing off of him and sees him as a handsome man. And but then people find out about it, and she gets arrested. And uh, what did she do wrong? Uh, do uh, drugs? No. You they you found out she her? had romance times with a non-human, and Alan Moore loves to write about crazy things.
1: <laughs> I. St- what was her name? Abby. Free Abby. Yeah, okay? I
0: agree. I agree. Abby so, is
1: uncancelled.
0: Yes. Uh, there was also a 1990 TV show that debuted on USA Network. It it barely looked like a science fiction show. It looked like um, a cheap Jason movie whenever you see clips.
1: Yeah, this is not an easy thing to render. I feel like you make a beautiful animated film. Well,
0: uh, in, in 2019, it kind of went under the radar, but um, DC Comics produced a really cool TV show that was like a horror uh, show about Swamp Thing, and everybody loved it, and they canceled it for some reason that people still don't understand. Because
1: DC Comics doesn't know what they're doing ever. They
0: don't. It looked really cool. They canceled every
1: good thing and promoted every bad thing in the past 20 freaking years. I don't even know (laughs) what their deal is. Anyway.
0: I don't have too much more of a point besides basically telling you about Swamp Thing, but I guess my point might be that He's a really good example of the ecological mutant. And if stay, instead of being like a wild, gross-out kind of mutant, this is like an attempt to see a mutant as a noble monster. And how much does a body matter? And how much does being human really matter? And Swamp Thing can be... Swamp, Thing, Swamp people can be very handsome under certain circumstances also.
1: <laughs> and you know what? In, in all of our struggles, this doesn't matter because the Earth will take us all, toxic waste and all. What? The Earth will take us.
0: And I guess the cleaner we get it, the less, the the better what we'll turn into will be maybe.
1: The cuter our plant buds will be. Yeah. We'll have little hair bows made of flowers. (laughs) Well, that was a weird ending, but a very good list. I think so. I mean, the whole ending, just just the plant people, but whatever. I don't know.
0: I like the idea that there's a quasi-realistic way we could get monsters and superpowers happening. I think that's why mutants are so fun to me.
1: I do like that.
0: Um, I love fictional New York where mutants are roaming the streets.
1: I love people taking revenge on greedy capitalists. So we're just really into mutants. I'm going to
0: join a mutant gang.
1: And I'm going to become a Swamp Thing.
0: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. We'll be busy, is what we're saying.
1: We'll be, we'll be busy. We'll, we'll be busy. eventually
0: lose the ability to speak and think <laughs> the way that you think.
1: But the podcast will be beamed directly to you in plant food.
0: I read, we were talking about real mutations and evolution. Did you know that the human brain stopped growing about, about uh, ten to 15,000 years ago? So we had the same brain as cavemen, really? It, I
1: mean, I believe it. Have you interacted with literally anyone ever? Yes. Yes, we all have the same brain as a caveman. Yes, agreed. Hard agree. I didn't know that, but I love that.
0: Uh, if you have thoughts about this list, and you really should, you know what? I'm ready for an email. I'm just going to call you out. I'm going to call you out if you're listening. <laughs> Send me an email at rumors at com. Or really do follow us on Twitter. What's our thing? Is it WS? Yeah,
1: you can find us on Twitter at WizardsNSPod. Yes. Or Instagram. Or you can visit the WizardsNightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows, like Curtle Holler, our original Halloween comedy audio series. Or check out my album, which is not about the swamp. Except a little bit. A little actually bit. it is. You Just got kidding. one song
0: that got that didn't that you didn't put on this album that actually is about the swamp. It's
1: literally about the swamp, but there's, there's another swamp Yeah, okay. Well, so check out the almost swamp like album. Get big at KeenGarrity.com K-E-E-N-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y
0: Thanks for listening. We will see you next week when we call forth new champions.
1: The legends they tell of a hero Facing down fears and cutting down foes There's no resemblance to what you own deeds feel humble and few, But you've waited through tears.